Hello, my fellow underdogs. Today, you are in for a real treat. My lifelong friend, Samantha Hisong, who is one of the smartest, most hardworking women I know, never ceases to amaze me with her words, wisdom, and knowledge. Like most underdogs, the success she has built for herself today was not handed to her on a silver platter. Today, she is a staff writer and journalist at Rolling Stone magazine. Despite all the success she has worked towards over the years, Sam did not finish college and has struggled with anxiety and with her mental health on and off over the years. As a mental health advocate myself, who has struggles with my own anxiety, I think many of us can relate to what she's been through. But I do not want to give away the entire episode in this intro. So without further ado... Here is my conversation with one of my favorite successful underdogs, Samantha Hisong, a writer, reader, thinker, a creative, and a wonderful friend to grow with and learn from. Please, please enjoy. Samantha. That's my name. You and I have known each other since we were babies on blankets. And that's not an exaggeration. Who are you? Who am I? (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was rhetorical. I was like, you look so insulted. (laughs) I was like, who am I? (laughs) No, it was actually a it was a meaning of life question. Cut, cut, (laughs) cut. Don't Um, cut that. That's great. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's organic. So Sam, this is about you though. And I'm really glad you agreed to do this. And we always start off our podcast, Success for the Underdog, with two questions. Um, the first one being, how would you personally define the term success as it applies to you in your life today? Sure. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Second of all, I'm probably going to hit you with like a very cheesy response at first and then we can get a little little grittier I, guess. I want all of it I want the cheesy one I want the gritty one now I'm thinking about like I, I feel like we're going into like an emotional waffle house because of the cheese and the grits that you're about to get it's gonna be good um <laughs> no how would I define success um I mean I don't know I realize now that and this is where it's going to get cheesy, being well-rounded is success to me and being happy is success to me. Loving and being loved is success to me and getting to do things because I want to do them, not because I feel like I have to is success. So, you know, and, and having enough having enough in my life to be comfortable and not worry is success. Being honest to myself and nice to myself is success. Also being kind in general, not just to myself, but to other people and and the world is success because I find it so much easier to be bitter and nasty. Um, A a few years ago, I heard the quote, attitude is the difference between an an adventure and an ordeal. And that really stuck with me. Yeah, I like that a lot. (laughs) That's going to stick with me now. Thank you. It really like when I'm being a brat, I hear that (laughs) quote in my head and I'm like, all right, fine. So now you're just officially not allowed to be a brat ever because you hear the quote. You should tell my husband that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll talk about that later. Um, <laughs> so speaking of your husband and yes. family and success and that, by the way, yeah. beautiful definition. That's so thank personal you. and also sounds so individual. Um, oh, thank you. I think that it's really cool how not only confident you are, but also... How very individual you are. Like, you know, you've kind of grown into your own person, your own woman, your own self. You've built this career for yourself. And your definition of success is so personal and just for you. As thank you. From what it, I it took a lot of work. It took a lot of work because it was nothing like my definition of success, whatever you said five or five or ten years ago. <laughs> so transition. Um, what, yeah. how would you have defined it 10 years ago? Or 
how would you have defined it the year you, we graduated high school? <laughs> That's a loaded question. Um, I, I'll say generally for me, success has always up until recently been rooted in being well-liked. So I guess that includes high school and, and my professional career. I was obsessed both in high school and in my professional career with being kind of the ultimate cool girl. And that sounds super lame, but it's true. Um, and that can also lead to a slippery slope if you start romanticizing dark aesthetics, but that's a whole nother topic. Um, I, I needed to turn my coolness into currency, meaning I had to make lots of money and I fed on validation. And I don't think that definition of success is particularly unique, especially in the age of social media. Um, having what's perceived as a fancy job was a big part of that as I became an adult. Um, and when I got into the music industry, it checked all of those boxes, especially as a member of the press, because, you know, all these labels and managers and radio people and streaming people and, um, you know, agents and, and even artists themselves, they'll kiss your ass until the world stops turning or, or, or until you're out of a job. Uh, and that's, that's actually something you see a lot of um, in my industry. When someone loses their job, they lose their sense of purpose. And I saw that happen to like a handful of people in different ways and I remember thinking how empty that must feel and how badly I need to avoid that. Um, and I'm very grateful to my mentor who told me early on, <laughs> it was a very almost famous moment actually. I felt like uh, I was William Miller and he was Lester Banks. He looks at me and he goes, always remember these people aren't your friends. The second you lose your job, your phone will stop ringing. And for the listeners out there, Samantha is a writer at Rolling Stone, a staff writer. Um, she writes so many articles that it's almost impossible for me to read them all <laughs> before today. But um, you're so talented, Sam, and you've worked your way up. I mean, that's why I think your story is so cool because, you know, we'll, we'll get into it now, I guess. So in 2010, you graduated high school and from Campbell Hall, and then you immediately went to UC Santa Cruz, correct? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then you transferred at some point mm -hmm, and moved mm -hmm. to Boston. Yeah. Um, and at some point you dropped out of college. Yes. And moved back to Los Angeles. What, what contributed to that decision? So it's, it's interesting that you, you brought up high school very briefly. Um, and I just want to call attention to that, I guess, because, it, it's interesting because I have a hard time identifying as an underdog. And that's not to say that I'm not in some ways, but I must admit that when you called me, it took me a second to unpack all that that word underdog means. Because in my mind, I immediately think, first of all, I'm white and I'm from Los Angeles. I went to a nice high school. I have supportive parents. Um, I lived a relatively comfortable life, so I can't be an underdog. But, you know, I thought about it and I realized now that that's not entirely true. Um, sure, there are definitely more impressive stories of people coming from absolutely nothing and like building an empire, for example. But I realize my story still matters. And I think it's important to recognize that. So I do thank you for seeing my worth. There are two sides to this that I actually want to get into. And one is the more obvious than the other. And that is that I am a college dropout turned full-time journalist. <clears throat> and I didn't even go to journalism school. Hell, I'm a, I'm a music business journalist at Rolling Stone magazine. And I didn't even go to business school or music school for yes, that matter. Yes, 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 love it all. Oh, oh my God, Sam. I studied film. Well, I just wanted to say real quick, um, you talk about your story and how it should or should not matter. I think what's important and why we started this show too, um, about, you know, for success for the underdog, we kind of want to turn around 
this meaning of the word underdog. It's a lower standard that people automatically, they hear the word underdog and they think, oh, this person is a loser or they're losing. Really like think about any movie you've ever watched in your life. Most of the best, greatest stories in the world out there are from underdogs, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the best protagonists in any kind of story, whether it's real or not, come from underdog beginnings. Um, And they actually, in my opinion, I think underdog stories make much more interesting stories than most other ones. So I don't think that your story doesn't matter. I think it truly matters. I think that, you know, just because, yeah, we did grow up in a privileged um, environment and we had, Uh of course, you know, privileged lifestyles, but people hear college dropout and they think, oh God, you know, like college dropout, like obviously this person had a failure in her life, but really it's the opposite. It's quite the opposite. You know, you, you dropped out of college, you moved to LA, you started working for hits magazine and it just took off from there and you did it all on your own. I think that's so important for people to know because sometimes you don't have to go to journalism school to be a journalist. I think society is is really just starting to wake up to the idea of you don't have to go to college to get a well-paying, coveted, quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes right now, job. Um, <clears throat> sure, if you want to be a lawyer or a doctor, yeah, you probably have to. Um, but that is a, I would like to think, I don't actually have the statistics in front of me, but I would like to think that's a very small fraction of the population. Sure. And I also think that too, you have, you work really hard. That's the thing. Like I think yeah, that yeah. you would have excelled college or no college, you know, but I think because you have that work ethic and because you've been reading since I've known you, like literally all you used to do when we were kids um, or teenagers was read and I remember and write and journal. And I remember you even saying one day I want to work for Rolling Stone. One day I want to be like William Miller, you know, mm-hmm but I didn't really believe that it was possible. And I did think I had to go to college at that time. Now I think differently, but you know, I guess I, I also think, I think that the system of institutionalized learning in America is deeply flawed in many ways. I mean, for one, I think education should be a right and not a privilege. It's so damn expensive to go to school and educate people. And we wonder why the the world is crumbling. Um, (laughs) And if you can get the money, like you said, you're probably going to be swimming in debt plus interest, by the way, (laughs) for the rest of your life. So many people are caught up in this mess, especially with the, the student debt and stuff. And I'm not saying, you know, if somebody gets into college and, you know, it's their dream to be a writer and they're a creative writing major or journalist. I'm not saying don't do it. I think that's fantastic too, you know? Sure. And, I, and if I ever wanted to be a writer, you know, personally, I think considering my own personal work ethic that I work on every single day and try to improve, you know, I don't think I could have done it without that discipline and sitting in a classroom and really kind of building my knowledge that way. But, you know, it's always possible to do it differently. And I think that, you know, that's why that's how we're going to change your definition of an underdog and everybody else's, because really there's always room for improvement. Yeah. No. And I mean, listen, I totally respect other people's um, points of view. And I'm not saying that mine is the ultimate right, correct one, but for me, like quite honestly, and, and maybe I don't know how my life would have changed if I didn't go to school, But at this point in time, I kind of wish I never went. And, you know, I do have this this debt with interest that I don't know when I'll be able to get through. Um, And, you know, I think about it probably too critically, but like it's good for the government because from their perspective, people with tons of debt will just work themselves into exhaustion and be too tired to step out of line. But that's perhaps a conversation for another time. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, but, you know, it is a good point because it's not just the debt, though, too. It's really... There are several reasons why people cannot go away to college. Yeah, yeah, oh, absolutely, absolutely. There's several reasons why a a higher education would be interrupted, um, not by choice. And for me, it's like, you know, I need to hear stories like yours. I'll talk for myself. I need to hear stories like yours because when I went to University of Arizona straight out of high school, I failed out 
I got a DUI. I had to come back. I had to go to jail. I mean, there were so many things that went wrong there. I thought my life was over. I really, truly thought that because I failed out of a university, that I'd never get into another one. I'd never get a job. Um, being a quote unquote creative was out of the question. Uh, really, I just had to start from square one once I moved back to LA and figure it out. And I, I didn't think college was actually an option for me at all. But even if it weren't, like I did kind of turn it around and come back, but even if it weren't, Kind of. You absolutely did. Yeah. Yeah. It took me a while. That's what I meant. It took a long time. Sure. But, you know. But there ain't no shame in that, honey. No, absolutely not. And that's why we're doing the podcast. It's it's because I, I don't think there should be shame in it. I don't. I think everyone no. has their own paths. And, and their own timeline. But if I had heard your story and how successful you would have gotten maybe five years before it happened, it would have given me as my own person, a lot of hope. I mean, is it strange of me to think that I actually think that to an extent failing out of college is a sign of intelligence? I mean, I think that there's there's too much emphasis put on quote unquote finding yourself in college, maybe because I'm from Los Angeles. So I did a lot of finding myself earlier than most people do. No, I completely agree. I completely yeah. agree. There's too much emphasis. Oh, you're going to have the years of your life. Like, you know, you'll find your people because in reality, University of Arizona is a school of 50,000 undergraduates, you know, sure. how are you supposed to navigate that coming from an right. all girls private school in Los Angeles? You know, it's hard, you know? Um, yeah. And on top of it, like, that's just not really what I needed college for. You know, I don't know. I had a liberal arts education that revolved around testing and a lot of general ed courses as well as partying <laughs> that just made me, f it, but the actual school aspect of it because it was a lot of emphasis on general ed and testing, made me feel like I was just checking boxes and solving a riddle, but not actually learning or absorbing anything. And this is a generalization, but um, for the most part, I think there's not enough emphasis on critical thinking. Like a lot of what comes from our education system, education system is boring and dry, and it also conditions us to find the right answer, right? So like, as if things can be broken down that simply into right versus wrong or even right versus left. If we want to get political about it, the government <laughs> wants the point is the point, the point, the point, the point, the point is <laughs> don't let societal pressures fool you into thinking you have to go to college if you don't want or need to. In my experience, College makes you learn what you need to, to pass a test because you have to, but it does not foster a love of learning in my experience. And I believe the world would be an exponentially better place if we all truly loved to learn. And I've come to these conclusions through watching both my own trajectory, trajectory, but I also looked at my husband's, um, Elon. Yeah, Elon, he, um, my husband, I mean, yeah, my husband was homeschooled for most of his high school years. Uh, he never went to college. And last year he became the youngest person to ever be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as part of Nine Inch Nails. And do you want to know what an influential guy in the drumming world told him when he was 11? Yes. Music is tough. Stay focused on school. Wow. Obviously, my husband didn't listen. He started touring really actively and regularly by the time he was 14, and he joined Nine Inch Nails when he was 20, and the world has really opened up to him in a lot of ways. Now he's scoring his first movie, he's making his own music, he's drumming in Angels and Airwaves as well as Nine Inch Nails, and producing and writing for other people. He is truly, and I really can't stress this enough, even though I know I'm biased, but he is truly the hardest working, most devoted person I know. And he's one of the smartest. Why? The act of learning was never ruined for him. He learns on his own terms. He watches online lectures and read, reads history books for fun, because, you know, to feed his pure curiosity. He's living proof, in my opinion, that all able-bodied, supported individuals need is a stack of books and a laptop. I couldn't agree more. I think for, for many people, actually, it's what works best. And I also, you know, some people say, 
before college, take a gap year. I think that's a great idea. I think that's another thing. It's like, why do we have to just rush into college right away? You know, why, why does it, does society have to define our success for us? I agree with you entirely. And it is very, I guess, societal based. I I don't know. I think it's a lot of pressure coming from parents, coming from prep schools, coming from reputations and people who want to hire, you know, the girl from Harvard, as opposed to the girl from, you know, UC Riverside, you know what I mean? Even though they got the same grades, they did the same stuff in school, you know, they, they, they're both impeccable people on paper, but naturally they'll go with the Harvard girl or the girl who went to college. Oh, dude. When I, I was at a party once when I was working early, when I was working in press and I still thought, thankfully I don't have this thought anymore. (laughs) I still thought at the time that I might want to work at a record label at some point. And I was talking to the CEO of one of the biggest record labels in the world. And I don't remember exactly what I said, but it was some kind of hinting that I was interested in potentially working in A&R at a record label. Again, very happy. I, I did not do that. But he looked me straight in the eye and he told me, where'd you go to college? Or he asked me. And I said, well, I dropped out. And he said, yeah, I would never hire you. And I was crushed, crushed. I felt like I had egg on my face. Like I'm at this like schmancy party in Beverly Hills, sipping a cocktail and trying to look cool. And the CEO says this to me. And I was like, I'm, I'm never going to get anywhere. I didn't finish college. I'm screwed. Do you think part of that experience, so I don't know when that was, but do you feel like part of that motivated you in a way? Um, Yeah, probably. Maybe more so on a subconscious level. But I mean, I realized I didn't talk enough about my own college experience, so... I do want to know a lot. I want to know more about the time between when when you dropped out of Emerson, moved back to LA and got your job at HITS and how things changed from there. Yeah. So when I, when I dropped out, I felt so much guilt. Like I felt like I had done something wrong. Like I was a failure, but I also knew that I wasn't happy staying in the situation I was. And I think there's, I think there's an Einstein quote that says something like insanity is I'm I'm butchering this quote, I'm sure, but it's insanity is trying to do the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. So I actually transferred schools first before dropping out of the second one. Um, And the first time I thought maybe it's just this particular environment. I was trying to convince myself it wasn't just being in college. (laughs) I was in Santa Cruz, which is very hippy dippy. So I picked the polar opposite of that and moved to Boston. No, I I really wanted to go to NYU. And I actually, I don't know if you know this, but I got into NYU three times. I remember. No, I do know that. I applied three different times. And I also got into, I got into Tish three different times, which is, I I don't, I don't remember the statistics, but it was, it was, it was really hard to get into Tish. I think it was like below 20% acceptance rate and they kept accepting me, but I couldn't afford it. And so I kept trying to, my parents said, go to UC Santa Cruz or go to, go to UC so we can save some money and then you can transfer. So when they said I could transfer, I applied to NYU. I got in, they were like, sorry, we still don't have the money. Um, and I said, okay, I guess I'll try to find the next best thing. So I went to Emerson in Boston, which is known for its communications program. Um, and then after the, the first year at Boston, I applied again, I got in again. Um, and still same thing. They were like, we don't have enough money. I don't know why I idolized NYU. So you wanted to transfer from Emerson to NYU again? Yeah, I I, I guess I just I kept thinking maybe if I get to that place I've idolized for so long, it'll it'll change my opinion on the whole system. But I know now that 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 wouldn't have changed anything. I did make it to my junior year. I had one year left and my dad was so proud of his daughter for being on her way to a degree. But I just couldn't do it. So I quit. I gave myself. I quit and I told myself, you have one year to find a career path, not just a job making money, but an actual long-term direction. Now, I didn't expect myself to be a CEO of a company or anything like that, but I needed to find some sense of like long-term purpose. I told myself um, that if I couldn't find that at the end of the year, that career path, that I had to go back to school 
and I really did not want to go back to school. So there was like a consequence. Like it wasn't just a time. It wasn't just, okay, you have one year. It was, you have one year. And if you don't find it by the end of that year, you have to go back to school. And I just, yeah. But you know, my grandma, it's just, it's funny you say that. It reminded me of something my grandma Kiki used to say um, when I used to get down on myself about, um, you know, getting kicked out of college and failing out. And she would say, honey, school will always be there, you know? That's true. And, you know, she didn't get her degree till she was 55 years old and she got oh, that season. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, and she's right. She huh. was right. You know, it, school will always be there. And in fact, you know, it is always still an option for you one day if you ever did want to go back. Sure. You come back, you get, you, you start applying to jobs. You made this goal. For yeah. Yourself. Yeah. So long story long. <laughs> um, basically, um, for a little more context before I get into what happened next, when I was in, when I was about 12, a man moved into the house next door to my parents and he was the president of hits magazine, which you mentioned before. And my mother being the cheerleader that she is walked me over to his house <laughs> and she was like, we just wanted to, we just wanted to introduce ourselves. Um, you know, this is my daughter. I know you work in music. She loves music. And he honestly is an amazing human being. He's my, one of my mentors. And, um, he humored me. He let a 12 year old talk his ear off about everything they loved about music. And I'm sure I said very stupid things. I say to Todd, I love music. And I tell him everything I love about music. And he goes, what band do you like? Why do you like this band? And I'm just a 12 year old. So I'm going nuts. And I love this so much and bless him for hearing me out, hearing me out. Um, and anyways, he recognized my passion. My mom also recognized that I loved writing. Writing is something I've done since I was in, I, I don't know, since I was able to hold a pencil. I treated it as a hobby and I kept wanting to follow in my mom's footsteps. And my mom was an actress and I wanted to be an actress. And I was like, oh, no, 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 mom. I just write for fun. That's not actually a, a thing worth pursuing. Um, and then in high school, I was constantly going to shows. I used my fake ID to get into the whiskey and the Roxy and the Troubadour and all those places. Um, so eventually I went up to Todd. I don't remember how old I was. I may have been like 15. And I said, Hey, um, can I potentially write a column for you guys? And he was like, what, what do you mean? What kind of column? And I was like, well, I have a fake ID so I can get into all these shows and a lot of people listening to this probably don't know what Hits Magazine is because it's a trade magazine. It's very specific to the music business, but they also are known for their like very unique sense of humor. It's very, it's like this kind of college humor, mad magazine humor. It's really crass and brash and in your face. And they love things that ruffle feathers. So when he heard that, he was like, oh my God, this is brilliant. He had a meeting with my parents and like asked for their permission essentially, but they loved the idea of having a very infrequent online column that was called notes from our underage, underage club crawler. And they, they just, they loved that. And they paid me in concert tickets and like food. And that's all I cared about. That's all so. a teenager needs really. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so, you know, after that experience, I would show up there and help them out if they ever needed anything in terms of like office management or anything like that street team stuff. So when, um, when I was dropping out of college, I already had this relationship with hits magazine where I was essentially like kind of interning there and just like helping out and just, you know, getting my foot in the door. Um, but I wanted to get my foot in the door more. And so I called, I called, Todd, my mentor. And I said, can I take you out to lunch? He said, sure. And I was like, I have to talk to you about something. Um, and I begged him for a job doing literally anything. And he said, I don't have anything for you respectfully, but I don't have anything for you. And I said, okay, but you will. And when you do call me and I said, I'll take it, whatever it is. I just wanted to get that extra foot in the door. But see, that's the, that's the initiative I'm talking about. Like, despite the introduction with your mom, you know, back when you were 15 and all that, like, 
if it weren't for those little steps, like you saying, Hey, let me take you to lunch. Hey, I know you don't have jobs right now, but when you do call me like that kind of initiative is the thing I'm talking about. That's what got you ahead. And people think about, you know, Hollywood, Oh, you need like connections. And honestly you do like, it is true to a, a, a great extent that in Hollywood for any kind of, you know, writing job, acting job, whatever, it, it does help to have a connection, um, which both of us do. Well, both of our moms were actresses and, you know, we're in the Hollywood scene back in the day, but it's not that big of a connection either way. I, from what you're telling me, you, it sounds like you really took that initiative and took Todd out to lunch and tried to really get that job. Yeah. And also like my mom did have a lot of connections in the film industry, but she had none in music. Exactly. Yeah. So you just showed up at his door. He was your neighbor back in the day. And, and I just think it's, you know, you kept that mental note, like that note in your head. Oh yeah. Like that's always an option one day. Right. And like four or so weeks later, after that lunch, I was working in a bar to make ends meet while I continued on my hunt. And um, he called me and he said he had an unpaid editorial internship. And I said, I'd take it. I started working nights at the bar while doing days at the magazine until they agreed to put me on salary. Um, Then I spent, eventually I spent six years there. And I rose through the ranks and eventually became an editor Honestly, the music business moves so quickly that being hands-on with boots on the ground and learning on the job is the best education I could have ever gotten. I think you're going to make a really great mentor one day. Hey, thanks. Like, I'm learning a lot from you right now. Well, thank you. I did have another plot twist for you. Yeah, so I I don't know if you remember, but I mentioned before that I saw two elements of an underdog in me while I was mentally preparing for this experience. Right. And the first was obviously college dropout, which is I'm sure what you were thinking of. Um, I know you were thinking of, but the second has to do with my anxiety and negative self talk. Do we want to talk about that? hundred percent. Absolutely. Like this is why these interviews, this is why we have these conversations. So it can go a different direction. Um, cool. like I, you know, I would love to talk about anxiety cause I too suffer from high anxiety <laughs> that can get in the way of life sometimes. So yeah. Tell me more about that too. How would you yeah, define well, that as like your underdog, um, element? Like, sure. I like? am, I'm so mean to myself. <laughs> Seriously. I, I'm just wired that way. Um, I am hypercritical of my own thoughts and actions and my presentations, which might be a blessing in disguise because it could be part of what makes me a good writer. But I will say that it makes believing in oneself really difficult. Um, Naturally, I do not believe that I am talented enough or smart enough to have the job or the influence that I have today. So I have to work on making myself accept that I am. I have to force myself to say yes to things that terrify me, like public speaking and networking. And I think that makes me an underdog because I seriously just realized the other day that some people in the world must actually wake up confident and optimistic and excited for what lies ahead of them. And I, I, but you, you called me confident earlier and I laughed because a lot of people think I'm confident, but I'm actually not. It's just, I, I, I don't know. Maybe it it's definitely my comes syndrome. off that way. No, it, it, imposter syndrome is so real and it's so, it's so real. Um, it's almost physical. Like it's standing right in front of you. Um, I can definitely attest to that because of law school. Um, but I still think that because we're talking about this, about not only does the college drop out, because I remember when I called you and I asked you to be on the podcast and you were like, I'm stumped. How am I an underdog? Yeah, <laughs> you were like, wait, exactly. me, why, why does this apply to my life? And I said, well, you're very successful right now. And you dropped out of college and it took you a long time to get there. And I'd like to explore that. And, you know, that's basically it. 
And that this thing about, you you know, this whole other thing about underlying anxiety and how you kind of had to take action, like opposite action, almost like if your, your instinct said, no, don't go out tonight. Don't meet these people. You did anyways, you know, like, yeah, like it's kind of that habit. Maybe, you know, you don't feel confident, but that's what makes you look confident right now. Isn't it wild to realize that there must be people out there that wake up and they're just like super stoked to go on with their day. I truly think it doesn't exist. You know how a mean girl, she's like, the limit does not exist. I really think that does not exist. (laughs) No, I really, I really didn't either. And I probably wouldn't realize that if I wasn't in therapy, but it blew my mind. Um, Like I I truly had not thought that before. I, I never saw, I never sat and thought, Hmm, maybe waking up in a fear-based state of mind isn't normal. Maybe it's not normal to wake up and have my first thoughts be, what am I fucking up? What did I forget? How do I fool people into thinking I got this? And even, even if it is somewhat normal, maybe it's not the only way. And I've just, I've come to realize that believing in yourself is tremendous. In recent years, I've really started to see the power of manifestation, um, particularly in the last two years. And I can share a little story if you want about that. Please, please. All the stories. Um, Okay, so about seven or eight months into dating my now husband, my anxiety skyrocketed. I now realize that I have always operated with a base level of anxiety and fear, but it wasn't something that I chose to recognize or deal with until 2019. It was very confusing um, because I was the happiest that I'd ever been in a relationship and suddenly I couldn't breathe. The reason for that, I think, is because I had been only in severely toxic relationships before I got with my now husband. So my first boyfriend, as you know, cheated on me with multiple women. The boyfriend after that had really bad clinical depression um, that he did not manage well. And both of them hid drug addictions from me. Real pieces of work. Yeah. (laughs) True that. I'll drink to that. So I was, I was not used to being in a secure, stable, loving, and trusting relationship. And I think that over time, on a bodily level, I started to associate feelings of love and romance with feelings of worry, drama, and chaos. So when I finally got into the opposite of that, my body was like, whoa, 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 whoa. what is this? This is foreign, and foreign equals scary, and, and scary equals danger. So basically for the first time in my life, I felt like I could fall and someone would be there to catch me. And so my anxiety was like, all right, bitch, we're going to fall then. We're going to fall hard. Also, maybe it has something to do too with with having so much to lose now, you know, because I I guess maybe, I don't know, you, you tell me, but for me, it's like being in a stable relationship means you could lose that stable relationship, you know, and part of, I mean, I'll speak for myself. That's a lot of anxiety that I have, you know, sometimes like, it's like, there's so much to lose now, you know, and, and I'm doing so well and yet, and everything's fine, but yeah, that confusion between like drama and passion, you know, um, like confusing that with love and like healthy, non-toxic relationships. That's so interesting. Exactly. And honestly, like when that anxiety skyrocketed like that, I, at the peak, I was experiencing insomnia and I did not sleep for three days straight at one point. My heart was racing. I couldn't stop crying and I had no idea what was going on for sleep. I tried Ambien. I tried melatonin. I tried, I tried weed. I tried clonopin. Uh, I also tried Reiki healing and acupuncture. Nothing seemed to work. And I hit a turning point when I finally broke down to my bosses at the time. I was sobbing in their office and I said I needed to go on a real vacation and not the kind where like, you know, you, you, you're checking email now and then I needed to fully go off the grid, which is unheard of in my business. I remember when you did this. Yeah, and they let me, bless them. So I bought a burner flip phone from Rite Aid. I booked a, by the way, when you buy a flip phone from Rite Aid, they often don't understand 
like they don't know where the key is to open that case because no one buys those anymore. <laughs> I booked a trip to the middle of nowhere in Idaho and I stayed at my dear friend's house for a week and I put my my iPhone in a drawer and literally in a drawer for the entire time. It may have, that's why I laughed earlier again when you, um, you said that you were turning off your phone and how liberating it felt. Like I actually put my iPhone off in a drawer closed for the entire time. And it may have just been the best thing I had ever done. I needed the flip phone so that my family um, wouldn't worry, but also like a very select few people had that number. And I couldn't really text because it was those old school QWERTY um, keyboards. Texting was super inconvenient, so you didn't do it. Um, And I had no access to social media. So I spent seven days doing yoga and hiking and jumping in lakes and soaking in hot springs, walking around a town I'd never been in before, meeting people, reading, writing. Yeah. It was amazing. I realized I was anxious and I sat sat with myself to figure out what I wanted out of life and what I was missing and why I was anxious. And after six years at the company I was at, Honestly, I just, I realized I was like a flower in a small pot whose roots were trying to bust out of the sides. But the thought of quitting that job was terrifying. It was all I had known and it had job security. And that's another thing that's unheard of in media. So, I mean, like to be fair, the pay wasn't great, but that company has a reputation of people sticking around for a long time because they don't have a high turnover rate. So it's safe. Right. But I had peaked. So when I went back to work, I asked my bosses for more money and more freedom. And they very politely told me that they couldn't give me what I was asking for. So, but good for you for asking, you know, you're thank starting you. to think it was hard. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's when the, the thought started, you know? Yeah. You needed those seven days. Exactly. And I started visualizing a new future for myself and I started being honest with people within reason, of course. Um, you know, like when they would ask me, how are you? I'd, I'd be like, honestly, I've been better. I'm okay. But I think I'm in a transitional phase. And I kid you not, probably a month later after, you know, visualizing that future and being honest with myself and other people, I got an email from a Rolling Stone address that I'd never seen before. And the subject line said job opportunity. No, swear to God, <laughs> I have the if you believe in that sort of thing. <laughs> no, honestly, I, I do because I get emails from recruiters all the time that are phony, but I mean, that's a real email. Oh my God. So what did you, how did you react to that? Uh, well, it popped up on my phone when I was driving and I like nearly crashed my car, <laughs> but I didn't, all was good. All was good. Um, I like, I, I called my, my, he was then my boyfriend and, um, my closest friends. And I was like, I just like, I feel like I'm being punked. This doesn't feel real. Uh, I, I also feel kind of guilty. Like, I feel like I'm like cheating on someone in terms of my, my employment. You know, they were just like, this is your dream. You have to pursue it. You have to just be open-minded. And, you know, there was a lot of negative self-talk. I, um, I was like, this isn't going to work out that you're going to, you're going to start the process and they're going to realize that, you know, like we talked about, um, imposter syndrome, they're going to realize you're a phony. They're going to realize that you somehow scammed your way into where you are today. You convinced enough people, but you're not actually that good. Um, but I told myself, shut the fuck up. And I just went through with it. And it was honestly a, whenever you get like a corporate job opportunity. It's a lot of hoops to jump through. Um, it's a lot of, I I think like four different people interviewed me. And then I had to talk to a like talent acquisition person in HR and fill out all these forms and yada, yada, yada. And then about four weeks later, um, I had a job offer and you know, what's funny about that job offer too. I, it was just under what I wanted in terms of salary and I was still going to take it. Did you, did you say? I actually told, like when the recruiter told me that I got the offer, I was like, I'll take it. And he was like, just, just think about it. Think about it. And if you, if you want to come back, if you want to come back and suggest something else, like go for it. Like in terms of salary. 
Yeah. Just in terms of anything, really just yeah. like process it. Don't like feel like you need to jump on it because that's like a self-worth thing. It's like, you're like, Oh my God, someone's giving me this opportunity. I have to take it. But in actuality, you can set things on your own terms. And so I, I did come back and I was like, you know what? Um, my previous employer was paying, you know, all of my insurance and this company does like a 50, 50 split on insurance. So can we make up the difference with my salary? It's about X amount of thousands annually to make up the difference. And they were like, let us get back to you. And I was terrified in the time that they told me, let us get back to you. I was like, oh my God, I just ruined this. And they came back and they were like, honestly, we didn't have the budget for it, but we moved some stuff around. And yes, you can have that. Wow. I mean, imagine the difference between that time you got lunch with Todd, where you were basically begging for any kind of job, paid, unpaid, whatever, and cut to this point where you're not only being offered a job, but you are stating your needs. Like, like you have that self-worth where it's like, yeah, I really want this job, but, but this is what I need. This is what I was getting. And I feel I, I deserve to continue getting this, you know, like, like that right there is just like a stark difference and and such, I don't know, I guess growth, you must've, it's scary when they're like, I'll get back to you. But you know, like, like at the end of the day, you must feel really good about that. It was so weird. It felt very uncomfortable for me. How long did they wait to get back to you? Oh, I can't remember. It was more than a day. I mean, definitely more than a day. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be freaking out. <laughs> Good for you, Sam. You are, you're so incredible. You're so articulate. Um, you're so intelligent. You're so smart. You're so beautiful. Thanks. Used to say you, you resembled, um, like to the T, Catherine Zeta Jones. But I really oh think God. you're more beautiful than Catherine Zeta Jones. Like I think she's B. You're A. Catherine, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. And she's lying. Catherine, <laughs> you have aged gorgeously, like a fine wine. You are gorgeous still. This is nothing against you, Catherine. <laughs> Kathy, we're friends. No, but um, really, Sam, you you're you're amazing. You're just this beacon of of confidence and 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 realness. Um, and I know you, but I think, yeah, I think it's important to know, to note that while people view me as a beacon of confidence, that I'm not confident. You're, you're true in the best sense possible in the positive way, an underdog, you're a successful underdog. And that we're trying to do with the show is a good thing. Hey, and I, I think you're amazing because <laughs> honestly, my biggest fear or, or one of the hardest times of my life was quitting my job. And you, at least from my perspective, seem like you have no fear in saying, you know what, this isn't working for me. So I'm going to try this. And it's drastically different from the thing you did before. And you're like, you know what? I know that I went out on a limb and I said that wasn't working for me. And I tried this new thing but this still isn't working for me. So I'm going to try another thing. And most people aren't able to do that. And I think it's sad too, because most people should feel that they are able to do that because there are a lot of people who I think, you know, I say this a lot about the LSAT. It's like the LSAT is such bullshit, right? Because it has nothing to do with the law. You have to be really good at standardized testing. It's like the SAT on crack. It's just, you know, reading comp, whatever. And it stops a lot of people who could, be really good lawyers. I mean, in, incredible lawyers from becoming lawyers because they may have problems with standardized testing or whatever it is, you know? And it's like that one hurdle. It's like, well, why can't they have a chance to, why does this LSAT, this one thing have to be um, the wall between them achieving what they want to do and their goals. Yeah. And there's gotta be another way or another thing. And, and that's another thing too. It's like, your definition of success is ever changing, you know, like, like right. in maybe a couple years, my idea of success will be, you know, having a family or moving to Asia or, you know, like, like something like, like a goal that I want now may be completely different in like five years, you know? And in fact, I can promise you, it probably will be um, because we grow as people and you've grown as a person, you've changed, you've made your way through this business um, on your own and, and without a college degree and whoever that CEO was screw him, you know, like really like he was wrong. 
Thank you. And by the way, just to people who do care about college and want to go to college, know that you can go, you can get into colleges that you don't think you can get into because FYI, when I got into NYU Tisch, I, um, I had like a 3.6, I want to say, which is low for their I think I was like 3.6 or 3.7. No, but seriously, for for schools like that, it's low because yeah. they expect you to have like a 4.3 because they expect you to take APs and and nail all of them. And honestly, my my standardized testing was not good. It was average at best. My scores. They should get rid um, of the I whole did, thing. I didn't take the SAT. I took the other one that I think is less. The ACT. Uh, yes, I took the ACT. It was still low. Um, I was told by the dean one of the times that I met with them, um, that it was my essays that set me apart. So people should just remember that you can find a way and to shoot high and try and do all the things and ignore the negative self-talk. And yeah, that's my spiel. And to all the listeners out there, you should take her advice because Sam is so successful. I mean, you're just really, you've grown so much. Um, yeah, I think that colleges love underdogs. Colleges mm-hmm. love a good underdog essay story. Um, they want to see hoops that you had to jump through. They want to see growth. They want, you know, if you had bad grades in ninth grade, you know, they want to see good grades in 11th grade, you know, like it's, it's not always just that perfect, like straight line too, mm-hmm. you know? And I think a lot of that negative self-talk and what society expects of people that stopped me from moving forward. And that's kind of what contributed to making my journey so slow because I was my, my own biggest enemy. Like I stopped myself, even though really the, all the pressure, you know, of getting a job, going to school, you know, getting a degree, that was all just pressure I put on myself, you know? Yeah. And, but, but also I attribute everything I have today from my past experiences, you know, from getting in trouble, from transferring to LMU to getting in, you know, to doing law school for a year and then dropping, like really like everything I have today are, is be, is because of those good and bad experiences. Um, And you have to do that. And I think that you not only like kind of sat through that uncomfortable Um, I guess, putting your foot in the door and really push yourself through into this industry, but also you did it uh, gracefully. I know you don't think you did, but you did. Um, And I think you're a great role model for girls, for women, for anybody, really. Um, Not just because of like school, I think school's great and everything, but also just because of everything you do right now and what it took to get there. Um, So Sam, thank you so much. Really? Thank you. Like I, I you. couldn't think of a better guess. I, you know, you were at the top of my list um, and I, I couldn't wait to ask you. So I'm so glad that we did this and thank you. You're, you're amazing. Thank you. <laughs> you're amazing. You're amazing.